Hi, and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail, and today I'm joined by... Brendan Rorison, and well, today, Adam, we are going back to our, our usual agenda after a very fun last episode with uh, Kenny Ibrahim and uh, talking about the ways in which Sega Rally's co-driver came about. Uh, we thought we'd keep up this momentum, you know, that we were making through a lot of, of older games recently and series as in general, perhaps, that we've not talked about enough and... I think today's subject, Midnight Club, is definitely an example of a, a series that perhaps we've man- mentioned in passing, but we have never actually given it that much focus, have we? Yeah, we've never really had a Midnight Club episode, we've never talked about the games in context with anything else, and that's honestly a big oversight on our part, because these are, I think, you know, Need for Speed gets a lot of attention. Um, back in the day, you'd have your Juice, your Street Racing Syndicate, or, or whatever. But I think Midnight Club actually has aged to be maybe the most complete open-world street racer. And it's funny because, like, I think part of that's because there are just less games in the series, and most of them are good, so they never really put a foot wrong. But I think it's also because, um, you know, these games took a, a really interesting approach and there's a distinct feel to them that I just don't get when I play, say, Need for Speed Most Wanted. As good as, you know, I, I like the original Most Wanted a lot and there's some other good games from that era, but there's something different about the way that uh, Rockstar San Diego uh, or Angel Studios, as they were known before, approached, you know, open world street racing. And so I think it's definitely uh, overdue that we give these games some attention. Yeah, absolutely, and glad you referenced that point about Rockstar, to be honest, because that's something when I was thinking about what makes Midnight Club different, I guess, from, from other racing series and such as that maybe not so much prevalent these days, you could argue, with how Rockstar approach game development and such, but they, they are known for uh, being a, stud- a, a range of studios who basically take all the time they need to build the games that they want to build, so... It's different from Need for Speed in the sense that that's like one of the linchpins of EA's roster and then there's for a while there was a necessity to get that out every single year, especially at the height of street racing. Um, you obviously have like the flagship exclusive games that pretty much get an unlimited budget and that, that kind of facilitates the great game uh, games that they end up being. Um, but Rockstar's Midnight Club series sits in this weird kind of area of a, a racing game that was never really needed but Rockstar wanted and Angel Studios wanted to make a game of that type and it's interesting because the way it depicts street racing and and the way that it actually kind of makes the gameplay look around that it was definitely something a bit more unique than other other kind of games within the genre had been doing and maybe not so much on the the actual focus on the the thing it's trying to replicate but more around the gameplay elements and how they tie that into the series because one of the things I got from revisiting this series just generally speaking was a a positive shock about how they keep the racing interesting and fresh throughout the game um, the way that and we'll get into the specifics of course about the games that we played soon but the way that it's actually able to kind of progress gameplay alongside career progression and stuff was really interesting because it wasn't just oh here is a drift mode here is a, a drag racing mode it's genuinely like building up the player as a street racer by introducing more gim- gimmicks is probably a bad way of putting it but introducing new elements to the races that actually keep them fresh and exciting because one thing i, I seem to realize throughout 
the games was that at the time where I started to feel it got repetitive at that exact moment there was a new element to racing introduced and the, and the way it's drip fed throughout the games was something that maybe one was a bit more straightforward but from two onwards they were definitely really good at trying to to keep the player engaged and trying to keep people involved and and that came from the the mental difficulty as well as the um the actual gameplay elements itself yeah i i think with these games you know it's interesting you look at it from a standpoint of you know how many modes or play styles are in the game and I never really thought about it until playing these games now and you especially bringing it up, Brent, but like they don't go for a lot of different play styles, really. It's it's usually just a race and the checkpoints might be ordered or unordered. Um, but, you know, like I've been playing, especially I, I put more time into Midnight Club 2 uh, and we played Midnight Club 2 in LA to really focus on. Um, but like those games don't really you know, in the way of like drift modes or anything like that, like the games have a presence when it comes to like cops and pursuits, but it's not like a need for speed thing where like the whole game revolves around it. Um, and as fun as those are in need for speed, yeah, I just think it's interesting that like, they're pretty straightforward games with pretty straightforward uh, situations that you get yourself into, but there's always a little tweak or something. Like in Midnight Club 2, you know, all of a sudden uh, you're in a bike race, like a bike uh, biker gang shows up and now you have to race these people. And it's like, okay, these are in the game now. And I think the next race you get on the bike and Gina's telling you like, this is how you ride one. Um, they'll usually take those moments to introduce things like all the sort of weird, like bullet time features or like in Midnight Club LA, there's that thing you can do with a roar that just like, <laughs> just blasts like a, like a wipeout shockwave, like throughout the, the road in front of you um and these little things sound insignificant but they actually are typically introduced in tandem with a race in which you really need to master that or understand that mechanic so yeah. it does keep the racing exciting and i think the other way in which they they contribute this sense of variety is uh it's weird because i wouldn't say these are massively narrative driven games but there are always characters. And I don't know if it's a focus <laughs> on story. I think it's more of a focus on character. But like, you know, if, if we want to get into it, like Midnight Club 2, um, yep. and we didn't really spend time with the first one. And that that honestly is like a shortcoming on my part. Like I really want to just try that first game. I know it's very simple and it was a PS2 launch title, but uh, but yeah, we, we kind of went just uh, straight for MC2. and. You know, I played this game when it came out, and I loved it, but I was a kid. And uh, going back to it now, the the characters are the things that stand out, which is something that I would, like, never say about any other racing game. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, they are very much stereotypes. Um, <laughs> but they're very colorful stereotypes. They're very animated. They're caricatures of people, and I love them. Like, it's so weird, but I think what they did with like the interludes in Midnight Club 2 when you're going from like rival to rival, you never spend so long with a rival that you get tired of them. Yeah. You know, they usually like when they're talking to you, it never lasts more than like 20 seconds. They say something, they're in your ear during the race. You'll maybe race against them two more times and that's it, you're gone. You're, you're on to the next person. And like, that's a way to introduce a bit of flavor and like context and world building in the game without beating you over the head with it. And yeah, I 
I never want to skip the cutscenes in Midnight Club 2 because they're just funny. Like, they're funny. The voice acting is, like, better than, like, anything you would have gotten at the time from any other game. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. It's a very... You know, Midnight Club 2 really does not have that much content, but it's a very yeah. charming game in spite of that. Yeah, I think, like, the way that it uses that time so well absolutely, like, sums the experience up nicely because... From a gameplay point of view as well, they don't waste too much time with the fact that it's an open world game, which is something very unique given that when Need for Speed moved to an open world series, for example, they definitely tried to make it so that you had to kind of embrace that open world mentality, whereas for me, like Midnight Club 2's open worlds just feel like hub areas for you to find the races and get them kicked off. Almost, and this is a weird comparison, but similar to like Racing Lagoon in that sense, where you're just kind of using that cityscape to get to the races yeah. and, and find the events, that sort of thing, for the most part. But on the characters piece, I totally agree. I think like the the ways in which they're able to portray what each character's kind of personality is or, or what their trait is through a combination of like the, the usual kind of shit talk they'll say to the player the thinking aloud type thing so you can hear their inner yeah. thoughts yeah <laughs> and then like the the ultimate closure scene of when you beat them yeah. I, I wrote a tweet about this the other day but it's like every character in midnight club manages to be a wank but also pretty sound as well it's yeah. like the, there's this weird duality of man thing going on with every single character where you think oh this guy is just going to be a dick then in these like 40 seconds of cutscenes but somehow they've got that depth of like you see the way some of them come around to you when you beat them you see the way some of them are happy they've been beaten in some cases yeah. um Savo especially in, in the late game um it's interesting it's basically like you you would think that of any type of game a racing game would not be able to cram that much character in such little screen time because uh, for me as well it's like and I don't want to keep making comparisons to Need for Speed right but it's the the closest proximity to these games they're inevitable and you know. yeah yeah exactly and like need for speed's whole gambit was like this underbelly of, of corrupt individuals and uh, oh everybody <laughs> hates you and everybody's out to get you whereas like in midnight club it's like it's for the love of the it's for the love of the racing almost you feel like like everybody's just like embracing that underground racing atmosphere which is more akin to like the start of something like fast and furious when you, you meet the family yeah. and all that type of stuff it's that's that's the kind of vibes I get from it. I think that's why it's such a fun experience because you never feel like things are getting too dragged down by the story or anything, but you're meeting all these fun individuals as well. This is gonna sound stupid, um, <laughs> because like at the end of the day, these are all these are all video games and these are all very fictional depictions of street racing. Uh, but and it is a world that you know obviously neither of us are intimately familiar with. But there was something that always felt more authentic about Midnight Club to me than Need yes. for Speed. And if Need for yep. Speed, whether it was Underground, Most Wanted, and Carbon, it always felt like it was playing to whatever the mainstream popular culture representation of racing was in the day. Um, it was very easy for EA to go get all those like top 40 artists or whatever, usually those who were like already broken and everybody knew about, and then just like put them on the EA track soundtrack. And like they're good soundtracks and stuff. And like yeah, again, yeah. I love Most Wanted, but like they never really felt like they were breaking new ground. Whereas I look at Midnight Club and I would actually say that for me, it almost it's a level of authenticity with like the style of what they're trying to go for 
and the branding of everything and especially the music that yep. it's not on the level of like a wipeout 2097 but it almost it almost feels like it you know not in the visual sense obviously um but like yeah it's just like an understanding of sort of what's cool about street racing and like what felt sort of groundbreaking like the soundtracks in like three and la would get a lot more you know they were huge soundtracks and they're both very good but like i remember in la they you know they had like the justice remix of electric feel by mgmt and like a block party song and stuff like that and i think in three they had jimmy Eat world good songs but you know lots of stuff you have heard on the radio um, or would have been popular at that time. Whereas like Midnight Club 2 soundtrack is such an awesome, like, like just, it, it's just like hit after hit in terms of like sleepers, like, like DJs and acts and stuff that I've never heard of before. Songs that like revisiting this game because I revisited it also a little bit last year and made my way through a long way until my computer basically shit the bed and I lost my safe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm just like taken aback by the quality of the soundtrack in this game and the way that they use music too is very interesting because the soundtrack yeah. is enormous, but they only um, summon certain songs upon interactions with certain racers. Yeah. Uh, there is like a, like a short looped version of a song that will always play when you're like following a racer to the start of a race. Um, and there are songs that are tied to uh, the three cities in the game. Yeah. So it's actually a large soundtrack. But you don't realize that until you get to the end. And it's fantastic. Like it, yeah, there's, there's just something about the music component of this game that I feel like maybe gets overlooked. And like, as I was playing it, I was thinking like, this just feels like a more rich, like this just feels cool. Like it just, it yeah, just feels yeah. cool to be playing this game. I think that that use of music as well, it, it's even more impressive that it's all licensed given the very limited and purposeful use of the music as well, because your average kind of race series with a driver takes to six to eight minutes if, if you're doing yeah. it the first time, right? Yeah. So the you think of how many drivers there are in the game and each of them have their own specific themes and the, the specific loops and that sort of thing that play at certain events and it's just it's a very it's a very purposeful take on the soundtrack to directly tie it to the characters and stuff and it's one that is not a necessity by any means because you can either go down the route of having like an original soundtrack and just you know putting together something that suits the character they're going for or you just go down the route of having an EA tracks type approach of oh there's like six different songs that plays in this track or four that play on this track but they're they're still mixing and matching it together but the way that they then tie it to the cities as well. I think that kind of that that is part of the cool factor we're talking about in this game, where it takes itself serious in a way that never feels like it's trying too hard, and yeah. that's why it creates this type of atmosphere that, like like you were saying earlier, Adam. Even when I was younger, like there was just something about Midnight Club specifically. You were like, mm, that this game, like it's it's got this something game about gets it. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it, hundred percent. And yeah. I don't want to kind of once again just credit Rockstar as a whole for the like the way Midnight Club turned out, but like I feel as if that is just so indicative of how Rockstar managed to rise in popularity because they were always so great with everything they put out, including even their fucking table tennis game. Like they were, <laughs> they were so good at just like understanding that they they felt as if they were in full control of what they wanted to make in that mantra. Really, let's see it through GTA and made it an absolute global mega hit. 
uh, for the midnight club games we got. Um, they, they were they were all very distinct and very nice um, in terms of being different for each game, but also still having that cool theme together. And and you could argue like post two, perhaps things got a bit more standard in the yeah. series. But in terms of like two itself, you've got. They, they obviously spent the money on the soundtrack side of things and then for the, the licensed cars and everything they decided not to get down that route which means mm. that they have that kind of creative freedom and the thing is the cars are basically just like these kind they're of rip-offs. versions they're, they're rip-offs yeah, at the end yeah. of the day but like unlike other games where you often feel that that's a downside like there's just something about the mystique of midnight club that's added by the fact that these are all debadged versions of these cars are almost <laughs> If you're into a lower side of things or anything, like it kind of adds to that mythos that this is a different universe and it's like street racing yeah. is the, the main cool thing everybody does, and it's not that like you never feel as if any part of this game's creative process was dictated by the likes of licensing or or uh, worried that kids might go to street race after playing it. Do you know what I mean? Like there's very much yeah. a, a lot of guys in this game where it's like if you try and hit a pedestrian, you'll hit the pedestrian, and if you try yeah, and <laughs> yeah, exactly, um, if you try and land this jump slightly wrong, then you will wreck your car. But do you know what I mean? There's a very kind of grounded nature to everything about it that just means that those cool elements just blend perfectly with the rest of the experience. Yeah, I mean, this game. What was the uh, the rating on this game? I need to check. Like the the ESRB yeah, Peggy stuff. Uh, great question. I don't know if I can find it. Um, but as you look for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's just interesting how I think this game really like piggybacked, uh, for better or worse, off of sort of Rockstar's perception at the time. Yeah. coming off of GTA 3 and I don't know if this was this I think came after Vice City um, but you know you you have this game come out that is such a hit obviously for Rockstar really kind of brands them as like you know the future of gaming the future like in a way that's like you know uh, this is although there were obviously lots of very juvenile aspects of GTA 3's portrayal of the world, um, there were also some like adult themes, obviously, that were not explored previously. And this was kind of Rockstar um, sort of benefiting from that, uh, that perception. And then when they go to make a racing game, the racing game also feels kind of more adult and um, sort of more grown up and less like it's just trying to do what everyone else is doing. And whether that was like actively sort of an influence on Midnight Club's development or whether it was just something that we all out there in the market were like, yes, these games are cool. Um, I don't know if I could really say, but uh, yeah, it, it kind of blew me away. I, I did not remember that you could just run over pedestrians in this game. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think yeah. it's like, I think it's like a, it's pretty much a T rating across the board. I I didn't see yeah, it. Yeah, it had a look. Yeah, T yeah. T fourteen, sixteen, and a twelve in Germany. That's crazy. <laughs> so, That's crazy. Because like yeah. it's yeah, just the fact that you can run over pedestrians alone, I think, is enough to get you like an M these days. Yeah. Um, and but this was at a time where Rockstar was like just skirting that line, and I think that they were maybe able to. To the extent anybody was paying attention to Midnight Club, you know, in in the shadow of the juggernaut that was GTA, they could probably point yeah. to like, yeah, see, we make we make normal games too without without all the bad words and the sex and stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I did actually get quite a shock when I hit a pedestrian for the first time upon revisiting the game because I'd somehow forgotten that that was part of it. So it's just yeah. nowadays, it's just expected that oh, every pedestrian manages to finesse cars in any game now, pretty much, and yeah. uh, even the sheep in Forza Horizon. <laughs> um, it, it was just a bit of a surprise, and I think it is that that adult re- representation of street racing, I guess that. It just feels a lot more accurate than Need for Speed's kind of hammy portrayal that is obviously based on market trends and that sort of thing, but Midnight Club 2, it's an underground racing game, it's it's something that was behind the juggernaut, which is GTA, like you're saying, but I think in general, like, I remember when Midnight Club 2 first came about, it was still very much a, it wasn't insanely popular. It was more of a somebody of somebody you knew had it, or or like you had a chance to play a demo or something, and then you found out about it. And then when everybody played it, they thought it was fantastic. But I really think it wasn't until three that it really shot into the kind of pantheon of, of racing greatness from the, the mainstream public point of view. Um, but like two just has that perfect balance for me of it. It's almost like the burnout discussion in a way, where like yeah. by burnout two. You felt as if they got that stride, they knew what they wanted to push forward and then they, they took it to the next level. Midnight Club 2 feels like that, but also I would have been happy if it stayed at this level. Like it didn't really have to take yeah. that next step of branching out in a way that, that made it more kind of mainstream appeal. I think this game, and it, it, you see the term thrown about all the time, but the YouTube comments, 3,000 upvotes for something like Dark Souls of arcade racing games. <laughs> and it's, it is, and I think like outside of the difficulty piece, I think like that basically just means that it's it's very much a game that has its own set of rules and it's not afraid to, to conform to those in an absolute way. And I think that's what makes the gameplay so fun. Yeah, it's important too to talk about just like, you know, we're, we, we've we kind of been speaking to the mythos of this game and kind of the way it makes us feel as we play it, but like sort of the tangible aspects of how it gets there. Uh, I came across an interview from a level designer uh, at Rockstar San Diego uh, who worked on this game and it basically comes down to, and I mean, eh, I think I can, I think I can just quote the first paragraph here. It's not that long, but I think it sums up one of the reasons why this game works. It's from Mark Fredrickson, and he said that uh, the philosophy of building a city is to make it fun first. These days, a lot of companies are stuck on creating replicas of real cities, focusing on insignificant details that add nothing to the gameplay. <laughs> we tried this years ago and quickly learned it was not fun. As a result, we are more concerned with making a fun race than rather than with which building is on okay making a fun race instead of what building is on what corner at 180 miles per hour it's all a blur anyway the cities in midnight club 2 are built for racing and yeah i mean these cities are you will see aspects you know there is the eiffel tower in paris but you're also racing on rooftops like they are very much uh fictional very much set up in the way that the city in say like uh you know paradise city and burnout is you know there are many opportunities for you to go vertical as well as horizontal and there are just some there there's some like ramps and stuff in this game like in la like you're on the freeway and there's like there's always and you know exactly where it's going to be there's always going to be a truck (laughs) on the edge of the highway like a construction vehicle that just has its ramp upturned and you go off of it and you're you're in the air for like five seconds it's crazy uh and just the fact that they that 
the, the maps, you know, the environments aren't that big, but they have more of a sense of scale when you can do things like that. And yep. uh, between that and the whole aspect of, uh, you know, the the way that Midnight Club does its races where they're not strictly linear, they're checkpoint to checkpoint, but you can figure out how you get there. That's something that, like, obviously GTA does now and has, and has done forever with its racing. But yep. um, lots of racing games don't do that. And I feel like Midnight Club has never really gotten enough respect for... Um, inventing that style of you know open world racing where it rewards knowledge of the city um, there's a little bit of that in like Burnout Paradise but I think Midnight Club cities are actually so complex with the shortcuts and stuff like that that like yeah. there are times where like you're not really sure what the fastest route would be but you know once you've got it especially in like an unordered race where you can literally <laughs> go to any checkpoint at any time yeah uh, it really rewards that that sense of you know i've been paying attention and i know the city like the back of my hand and it makes you feel like you're more part of the world i think yeah absolutely and the way that the races are structured as well it's in the first few races that you'll do in any given city the checkpoints will always be placed very close to potential shortcuts mm. and stuff. And then the, the when you get into the later races, it isolates the checkpoints further away from those shortcuts and stuff. But the idea is that you remember those shortcuts and can actually use it to your advantage. So the way that the, the actual races themselves are structured with the checkpoints is great because it, it tries to encourage that learning if, like you're saying, you're paying attention. You're not going to have Moses over the, the phone telling you, hey, do the shortcut next ride, or something like that. <laughs> like you, you're, you're not going to get that, but what you will understand if you're actually watching what's happening is that the game purposely tries to guide you towards routes where there are shortcuts so that when you get to those later races, those difficult champion battles and stuff, you do know the city by that point. And the, the unordered race piece, uh, for me, that is like prime midnight club. This is this is what this game is about. Say the things. It's it's giving you that full freedom of of actually pursuing the route that you think works best. And it's a uh, it it must have been very difficult at the time to justify having that type of race type in the game because being quite frank, there will be players who just simply cannot wait. Like, yeah. When those type of races? I was one of them uh, <laughs> when I was a kid and I yeah, played this game yeah. for the first time. It was a lot like, uh, do you remember Yoshi's Island? Or not Yoshi's Island, but the Yoshi circuit in, on uh, Mario Kart 64. Yeah. Where the map is just like, I don't know. And you, <laughs> you just have to figure it out. Like, I was so yeah. confused with the unordered races when I was a kid playing this game for the first time. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's a big commitment to, to purposely throw, throw that type of race in when it's just something that hasn't really been done elsewhere that yeah. much, to be honest. Um, the, I think the kind of more player-friendly version of that is simply, here is the finish line, get to it. And that sounds more grandiose and complex, but it actually removes the, the part that makes it interesting for me, where... Yeah. If you just got to get a certain point in the map, then yeah, you may have to find the best route, but ultimately, as long as you find the straight lines, as long as you find the highways, you'll be fine. Sure, yeah. But when you have to hit every checkpoint, it makes it so much harder because you don't have a you don't have a dedicated route. If you think about the shortcuts element we're talking about, you're having to use your brain constantly to work out, should I take this checkpoint or will it make it difficult for me? It's... a shortcut, sorry. Or will it make it difficult for me? Right. It's... It's just like it's a totally different type of gameplay style and the game really leans into it in the later races for obvious reasons. Um, and it just, 
it makes it that bit more exciting and fun to play because I don't know if it's intentional, I don't know if it's just the AI not being that evolved, but like even with the AI sometimes if you restart a race a few times, some of them just fucking get lost and get <laughs> stuck in traffic and I don't know what's going on, but yeah. it, I, I hope it's intentional because it does add to the kind of the, the difficulty sometimes if they're absolutely on it, but then other times you get a bit lucky with a, a bit of traffic in the right place and, and the AI don't just bounce off these traffic and keep going, like they fucking yeah. get clattered man. <laughs> This is a very fair game because the yeah. AI can like grief the hell out of you, but you can you can dish it right back. One of my yeah. favorite slash most annoying things to do to myself uh, when I play Midnight Club 2 is when you're driving to a race and you have to follow uh, the other, you know, your rival and they're not ever going very quickly. So that gives you a lot of opportunities to just destroy them. But what will usually happen is if you turn them around or flip them over, they will get lost. So now what you've just done is like, because they're not very smart. So now what you've just done is now it's going to take you like, you know, four minutes to start this race. It should have been like a 30 second thing. Uh, And yeah, you know, it, it does feel like an old game in that way. It's not massively sophisticated, but yeah. again, I think that's kind of part of its charm. You know, it's it's weird having a game like this that where the open world isn't, as you were saying, it, it's weirdly, it is like a racing lagoon thing because the open world is not really something like if you want to just like roam for the hell of it, you can, but like yeah. there, the, the open world is really taken advantage of in the races. It's not something like a most wanted type situation where you're going to just free roam to get into a pursuit and drive around the city aimlessly, but also while you have this objective on your mind, it's more like, yeah, the city's there if you want to explore, but you'll get all the exploration you want done in the actual racing. Um, and I think that's kind of cool. Uh, it's it's just a different approach. It's probably an older approach. Um, almost reminds me of a game like Hot Pursuit 2010 where like I forget that that game has an open world because all of the races are point to point (laughs) and like you I think you kind of have to go out of your way to like go into the map and free roam if you want most of the races are just selected from a checklist so uh, I don't know I like I like these different approaches to open worlds because today everything's pretty figured out it's pretty buttoned up you know yeah yeah exactly I think that that is a difference, I suppose, even if talking a bit further towards LA, where, like, LA, when it came out, had that weird feel of a GTA game with the gta and it's kind of stripped away purely because yeah. at that point, open-world design was so well-regulated in terms of here's how it should be structured, here's the here's the perfect way to set up an open-world map, whereas right. you really do feel with Midnight Club 2, very little referential games to look at yeah. and, and, and frame an open-world around the... The approach that Angel took was to actually try and build a world that was suited, like the, the quote say, that suited for the racing first and foremost, and the, the kind of backdrop is, is just an element of that, and I think that's why it makes a nice back of the box quote to say that it's free, like, cities, like, as oh, free open world cities, but in reality, the most impressive part of it is that it's basically free landscapes of interweaved racetracks that can host many different types of event and and have like you have fun through that maybe maybe i'm wrong but i highly doubt many people get enjoyment out of this game just cruising the city because it's it just feels more like the the means to an end and it just it it works a lot better to have that type of system of flashing your lights and starting to race or 
to sort of following a car start the race than doing it all through menus because it just takes it would take away from that feel and atmosphere element I'm talking about. So it's it's for me it's like that perfect balance of a hub world and an open world. It's doing it's doing what its job is supposed to be and there's enough to do in it that it never feels like hey, any of the cities overstay their welcome either. Yeah. And and you know we're talking about a game where it still feels, you know, it's kind of weird because this game was definitely in development concurrently with your with your GTA 3 or GTA Vice City probably. Yeah. Um and so it doesn't feel like it's really uh, it's coming from a place of like Rockstar now has a massive budget. Like it still feels kind of, although the cities were impressive for their time and in terms of scope, like you can't customize vehicles. Um, graphically, technologically, the game was nothing special. I mean, I remember at the time I thought it was kind of ugly. Um, it, it's okay for what it is. It's definitely a step up from the first game. Yeah. But like it feels kind of quaint. And I think for me this is actually you know we're talking about burnout uh two episodes ago and i yeah i think the burnout 2 comparison is apt only in this case i think the more i play midnight club 2 the more i actually kind of prefer it uh to you know (laughs) 3 was always my favorite and that's a great game but i feel like with midnight club 3 i could get that experience anywhere else yeah and midnight club 2 is totally its own thing um and it gets there without customization, without the hallmarks that you would expect from, you know, other racing games, without, you know, we have a drift mode and then we have like a time trial mode and then we have this or that, you know, it's just like, you don't really know what's going to happen race to race other than you're going to end up in some crazy situation, some wild part of the city, um, you know, uh, the AI is going to take a stupid route and something hilarious is going to happen. <laughs> and yeah, yeah it's just that I, I feel like it's one of those things where like they don't tell you a whole lot and it actually works in the game's favor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe that reflects on like modern game design, because then as we look at like L.A., you know, we're talking about a game that I still enjoy very much. I, I think it's a really fun game. It feels very alive, but it feels more like everything else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's maybe indicative of the time period that Midnight Club uh, Two came out. That it was just at that point it felt as if there wasn't like it, there isn't a standard racing game driving model. I don't want to imply that's the case, but there's definitely like certain kind of car behaviours now that are pretty standard across the genre. But like Midnight Club Two, kind of almost frames its physics around the gameplay, much like a, a real arcade racer should do. So it's it's not about trying to appeal to everybody. It's and it's not about trying to provide a, an experience that everybody can get enjoyment out of. Even um, when you look at like as as I often do, you look at the reviews of this game that first came out. You, you had like the nines and tens. Then you get Edge giving it like a five because yeah. they, they felt that the, the handling was too twitchy and the, the game's too vague to capture players and that sort of thing. And if that doesn't show that the the squares didn't get this game, then I don't know I mean, what look, does. <laughs> like, th- I don't know how I ended up with this game as a kid because I was very opinionated about the kinds of games, racing games I was playing. <laughs> Um, cause yeah. I was like a little, you know, piece of shit, but like, <laughs> I like, I didn't like, you know, I, I was upset when Need for Speed went, you know, tuner 
You know, yeah. I was upset when the underground games happened. This is not like Midnight Club was not something that I would have gone out of my way to play because it didn't have licensed cars because it, <laughs> yeah. you know, didn't have, uh, you know, the most accurate, uh, you know, the best graphics and the most accurate depiction or whatever. It just like as, as like a car nerd, even at a young age, just wasn't my thing. And yet I ended up playing the game and I was surprised how much I loved it. And I was, I was regularly like confused by it. I, I didn't understand how to win. And I don't think I ever beat the game because I just yeah. like I, I just got to a point. Yeah, it gets and, yeah. and it starts out pretty easy, but the difficulty ramps up in a way where you're just like. I don't know, like, I almost don't know how we got here. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but it's, you know, it's a different kind of experience. And uh, some some background, too, to us going back and playing this game. You know, Brend, you were saying that you checked it out on PC and PS2, which is very cool. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, I played the game originally on PS2. I don't know what happened to my PS2 copy. I must have sold it or something It's because it's gone. But... Uh, Rockstar out of nowhere, and then I remember we were talking about this in Timex and Discord last year. Last summer, it seems like they accidentally relisted Midnight <laughs> Club 2 on Steam, yeah. and it was like 10 bucks, and I bought it, and they, they took it down like two hours, and uh, I bought it, and I'm so happy I have it now, because like I'm playing Midnight Club 2... I don't know at like you know at 1440p, which in of <laughs> itself, like trying to get this game, like to figure out how to get like a modern resolution and especially yeah. the controllers, the controller pad support is like it it it's heinous. It's like you know because this game came out in 2003, but once you figure that stuff out, you're playing at like 120 frames per second. Like it's a blast. It's like yeah, <laughs> it, it's weird, but you know it works and it's like a. It's a PC port on the modern PC, uh, which in of itself is kind of a weird experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's what blew my mind about the PC version. That well, The fact that we were able to buy it in the first place when that error happened. But then also, like, how, aside from trying to help the resolution and stuff, just how like, perfectly it worked. Like, it's... PC gaming often confuses me in that way when yes, you get games yeah. built for hardware that's supposed to run on it and it doesn't run on it and then you get games like this that were made and put out support long ago that work absolutely perfectly yeah i think it was probably part of rockstar they put the game on steam i don't know maybe 10 years ago maybe 12 years ah, ago or something like okay. that yeah. and i i don't know this for a fact but i'm assuming that like you know the certification for steam requires lots of quality of life things that like a standard you know need for speed porsche unleashed is not gonna have obviously <laughs> so um yeah. yeah that makes it run pretty uh pretty reliably on anything the, the hard part is getting the controller support um figured out but somebody actually on, on the you know steam has those community pages for every game and somebody listed a couple different controller methods and you basically just download the scripts and i think you put a file in the folder and yeah, you start up the game and it works. Um, yeah. So that's probably the best way to go about it. But I don't know. You know, I'm not a PC gaming expert, uh, even though I play some games on PC. And I, you know, Rockstar is taking the game down. So I don't think there's like, you know, you can get it through official means. But um, I'm sure there's another way you can get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it, I mean, please don't buy a key from a reseller, though, because they're still trying to get like two grand and stuff. Oh god! So oh, I didn't don't, realize. That. Don't Fuck do that. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I'm sure you'll find other ways. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Midnight Club 2, it's, it's interesting to me because I feel as if when I was younger, it was definitely free and uh, it was Dub Edition and Dub Edition Remix that really got me into loving Midnight Club for the reasons that we talked about earlier. It was the, it was like that was the game that started to embrace the kind of mainstream culture of what street racing was perceived as and, and what made it cool. Um, naturally, being like a young kid and stuff, you gravitate towards that type of experience, and I was scared off from to being incredibly difficult. Still tried to play it, but like. Yeah. Not that great at it. And I think the thing about street racing games in general is that a lot of people derive enjoyment simply from the customization element and, and uh, building your cars and and that sort of thing. So like Dub Edition having all those features makes it immediately yeah. more accessible to everybody. And right. um, it's not as if the at- the atmosphere in Free and, uh, and Remix was still really good. It's just yeah. that um, yeah. I think two is the the peak of Rockstar not really giving a shit about appealing oh, to, yeah. to that kind of what is expected from a racing game. Definitely. Three onwards was them realising that they're actually really good at this and, and they can put together a, a street racing game um, that, yeah. that does the, the, the kind of the genre justice and that's why I wish I played a bit more of one as well um, but it, it's very much a case of because, like you say, Adam, it was a launch title, and it might it obviously has different cities and stuff. I believe it's got London, New York. I think, and... yeah, New York and London. I know for a fact. I can't remember. I'm assuming. I think a it was Singapore one. or somewhere in China, perhaps, mm. maybe for the first one. For some reason, oh wait, I might be thinking of that like weird tribute that McLaren did for the Singapore Grand Prix. Have you ever seen that graphic at all, Adam? Oh right, yeah, I do remember yeah. seeing that. <laughs> So maybe that's that's kind of warping my mind, but um, I'm pretty sure that there's three in that as well. But um, I figured it would just be good to, to play two since it was a lot more readily accessible. That sort of thing I already had to on the PS2 as well. It's um, only London and New York. Okay, okay. so yeah, two cities. So there you yeah. go. Yeah, so um, probably go back and revisit that now after having such a good experience with two. But it looks so it looks so simple and you know it <laughs> yeah. it's funny when you look I, I just always laugh at aside from like Ridge Racer 5 you look at PS2 launch titles and you're like this this is what killed Sega as a company like people <laughs> were so taken by the marketing I mean these games look like they're a generation behind the Dreamcast and of course in time you know PS2 development give it like two or two years and you know it was starting to blow the Dreamcast out of the water but like they they were not there out of the gate and like Midnight Club 1 was it yeah it uh it visually at least has not aged very well but um you know like a burnout type thing it's it's how they got it's how they got here and uh yeah so you know, we talked a lot about two, but uh, I'm kind of happy we did because it's a surprisingly, uh, you know, enjoyable, charming game, and yep. uh, I think that you should definitely go seek it out if you haven't played it or if you haven't played it in a long time. Uh, in my case, but uh, Midnight Club LA, I I went back to this one, and I remember when I when this game was new, I played it and I liked it, but I never had. You know, and I beat it, but I never had any compulsion to go back to it. Uh, I, I feel like I almost was like unfair towards it. There was never anything I could put my finger on that I didn't like about the game. Yeah. But now going back to it, I think first off, it just feels, it feels so modern. Like, and and maybe that's because Rockstar has been using the same engine for like the last fourteen years. <laughs> but like, it, 
it looks really good. Like I was playing it on the 360 and um, you know, this was one of the first applications I imagine of the Rage engine. You would have had GTA 4 before this, but this will have been the next thing. I, I, I think Red Dead Redemption followed this game. Um, and it has aged very well. It what, what gets me is like, it's a pretty game um, especially like the sunsets and yep. you know you, you'll see like the way that the road surface will reflect and like if you've I've been to LA I've been through LA very briefly but like um, when you go there you know the the way that like they have like the concrete roads and stuff and the surfaces are all a little bit like a little bit wonky that the, you know the it's I think a lot about how pavement is different in like New York compared to like Los Angeles, but they capture like the weird like mismatch of surfaces and the way that the sun kind of, you know, bounces off with the specular highlights and stuff. And uh, it just feels modern and very full. Uh, there are tons of, uh, of people, of pedestrians on the road. Unlike in Midnight Two Club 2, you can't hit them. Um, they will run out of your way, but they're, you know, these cities feel very rich and alive and, uh, lots of cars on the road too. I don't, you know, aside from maybe like one of the burnout games, and I don't even know if I would put burnout paradise in this conversation. I feel like this game has like the most like, um, NPC cars on the road that you have to like avoid or dodge of like any game I've ever played. It, it, it makes the racing a real challenge. And I think experiencing all of this uh, and the level of detail they were able to push out of these systems and then going and playing a game like, say, uh, you know, again, Need for Speed, Carbon or something like that, you know, that era of Need for Speed feels like it definitely feels like it comes from a different time in gaming. But I feel like Midnight Club LA actually feels as, you know, basically as fresh today as it did when it came out. And I feel like if you remastered this game, you know, it there you know, it would it would have aged perfectly. Uh this this game to me, I know Rockstar likes to re-release a lot of stuff. And I know they probably won't because of the car licenses, but like this would be such a great game. Um if they could remaster it in a way uh to make it feel a little bit a little bit more fresh because like there is a lot here. Uh, and it just feels more alive than a lot of open world racing games do, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up that point about the Need for Speed comparative at the time because the, the means in which I came about Midnight Club LA tie into that nicely. Um, I actually, and on my birthday, I went to Blockbuster <laughs> and I uh, picked up for purchase uh, Need for Speed Undercover. I was Ooh. stuck at the, the shelves. And I was like, what game do I pick up? Midnight Club LA or Need for Speed Undercover? And for whatever reason, I went for Need for Speed Undercover. I had seen footage of it. I had read reviews and stuff. But like, I'm a bit of a black box fanboy, as you know, when it comes sure. to the Need for Speed games. And I thought I'd give it the benefit of the doubt. And it's, it's funny because I got the game home and I played the first race. And I just remember that barren city like just absolute <laughs> desolate like it was like something out of fallout just like no cars on the road whatsoever right yeah that same fucking physics engine the the sun at the worst point of the day for racing possible all the time that fucking, <laughs> like sunset always in your eyes and i remember i did yeah. the first race and i just felt that 
Ugh, I fucking hate the physics of that game so much. I remember feeling the physics of that game, mm. finishing the race, getting the, the one trophy that pops up, it says, like, welcome to Angel City, or whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> um, and I just took the game out. I took the bus back to the Blockbuster 25 minutes away on the wow. same day with my receipt and tra- like handed it back, got a refund and bought Midnight Club LA instead. Yeah. Like I've never done that with any game before. I very rarely <laughs> refund anything. Never mind, take a twenty-five minute bus to to actually take it back and stuff on my birthday. Yeah. But it was just like I remember thinking how fucking disappointing that was. And then yeah. I picked up Midnight Club Ellie, and it's like the kind of usual display cases they have out, not the actual games. And they come from behind the counter and hand me the Midnight Club LA box. And the reason I, po- I point this out is because at one point Rockstar was really good at making their games feel like events. Do you know that way? Like, yeah, it, you yeah. felt as if you bought something really cool and I've seen that embossed cover with like the shiny material and stuff with the... Yeah, the Mustang and yeah. The Mustang on the front, Midnight Club LA embossed standing out, the, the cool colours. Heavy fucking box, man, because of that map inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it just felt like... But even at that moment, I was like, "This is the one. This is substantial. Right. This, this is, this is what I should have got." And then, yeah, the, the actual, before I'd even played the game, I already felt as if I'd made the right call because it just yep. like that, that. That's Rockstar for you at that time period, and the, the game itself, like you're saying, Adam, I I revisited it actually not for the purposes of the pod, just over lockdown when I wanted games to play, and it's available on Xbox, of course, backwards compatibility. Nice. Um, I was playing it on the Series X and what a night I had, man. Like, I just fucking bottle of Jack Daniels, some Pepsi Max to mix it with and just played Midnight Club for like seven hours straight. And it's funny because when it comes to revisiting older games, I'll be honest, I do that kind of thing where I'll play an hour or two, I fall away, that sort of thing. Sure, and yeah, yeah. It never quite captures you the same way it does. But there was just something so like cathartic about that experience of revisiting Midnight Club LA and it felt the exact same as it did then, hitting on the points you have said. It's, it feels like such an alive world for a racing game that you don't really see that often. Even Forza Horizon is arguably better at... like. The, the whole Horizon Festival thing still feels oddly desolate, like even yeah. even in later games. Well, it you you feel have all of the crowds. All of the crowds are in a very self-contained area that's cordoned off, and then you never yeah. see another human being <laughs> for the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because like that's why like that game always makes me laugh when it's like the Halo events and stuff, and it just yeah, looks yeah. so strange and like odd that it does, it never really comes off as something cool because of that. It's like right. never feels like a real world, whereas. In LA, obviously you, you, you have the actual story and stuff, which is cool, and like, kind of tying in with the GTA type stuff. But just outside of that, like you were seeing a lot of traffic on the roads that adjust depending on the time of day. There's dynamic weather in there. There is a full 24-hour yeah. cycle. Um, the it's traffic so itself is... Yeah, Technically, absolutely. it's so impressive. I mean, you have, you know, especially, you know, you played Need for Speed Undercover, uh, and EA was always averse to like interior views. They never put, I mean, even Need for Speed Heat didn't have one. And here you have not only a full interior views, you can change the steering wheel and the seats in the car. Yeah. Uh, you can change the color of the upholstery to like any color you want. Like neons there's some of these things, as well. neons, the, the, <laughs> the um, airbags and stuff for the hydraulics for the car. And yeah, the customization, it's funny talking about two 
because customization was a huge focus of three and they did a great job on it and then they just yeah. built on that with la la doesn't have a lot of cars uh the car roster and i feel like that's maybe the one thing against is a car roster is kind of weak especially because three had like everything but you can do a lot uh with those cars and it's just such a rich game. I think comparing two in LA is interesting because two feels like this like undiscovered, seedy, secretly cool thing before it broke. It feels like you're going to like you know a, a club that like no one's heard about before, but is like right on the brink of of exploding. Whereas like Midnight Club LA to me feels like a block party. It's just like everything yeah. all the time, loud, just like you know. It takes itself again that that perfect rock star balance of like we know what we're about we take ourselves seriously but we're not going to beat you over the head with it we're not going to turn you off with it and um it's just fun it's just a fun fun yeah. game and i yeah i just i don't know why you know when i played it i just kind of i was like that was that was all right because I, I think what it is is the further away that we get from games like this because there was a point where a game like this was coming out every year yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, until Need for Speed Heat, that basically stopped. And, like, I played Heat and I liked it a lot. But, you know, if I'm if I'm honest, was that because of the nostalgia factor or was that because it was actually a great game? You know, it was it was good. Um, but, yeah, Midnight Club LA, I think, proves that, like, God, if Rockstar could ever make anything other than GTA they would <laughs> they would be able to uh to hit another one of these out of the park and i actually completely forgot because i was bringing up a remaster but even that's not really necessary because uh, it's now. on yeah it's on series yeah. x and uh and series s i totally it's forgot so about weird that. like yeah. it's so strange that like with the licenses they bought just that long that they're still active or is it like yeah. are they actively renewing it like if I remember right, actually, only arrived for sale very close in proximity to the whole Midnight Club 2 thing on Steam, if I remember right. Because hmm. it seemed like for a month there was a weird shit going on with the Midnight Club license, the IP got renewed, that happened yeah, that with happened 2. Yeah, recently, yep. And then LA was available for, for sale on the store once it got added to the backwards compatibility side of things, so... Yeah, I have no idea why it's for sale, but it's absolutely worth adding to the library. It's like £12 for the complete edition now, which is the best way to experience you'll get the, the game. You'll get the South Central, um, which yeah. adds like a whole chunk onto the onto the map, yeah. I want to see if it's, on, uh, if it's on Steam, because I don't remember if it is. I don't know either, actually. It's a good point. I'm just going to have a quick, a quick look. Um, no, I don't think it is. Uh... Yeah, so, I mean, if you have an Xbox, that's one of those reasons why, like, I wish I had an Xbox, man. Because, like, yeah. um, I have the PS5, Sony doesn't give a shit about backwards compatibility, <laughs> so, um, and when they do, they, you know, they just give you PAL versions of games. So, uh... Yeah, but, it's... Yeah. It, it's one of the best things about the Xbox, is this backwards compatibility element, because it, it pays a surprising amount of homage to the racing genre, which, you know what, fair play. There, there's, yeah. like, Midnight Club, there's Split Seconds, there's, um... Oh, who's there, like, well, Driver, San Francisco, there's oh, right. Midnight Club, do you know what I mean? Like, there's hmm. everything aside from Blur, really, on the whole side of, like, that genre, that, that era that, that everybody considers any of these games underrated, it's, like, it's just <laughs> interchangeable the way people want to talk about that era, uh, specifically, but, um, yeah, 
the scary thing about Midnight Club and it almost works against it in some ways for discussions like this where we wax lyrical about what Midnight Club 2 did. Mm. Midnight Club LA still does. Like the the, yeah. the elements that it has great are parts that make it easier to downplay. I suppose just how impressive it was they done that at the time because even if you think about it from a multiplayer point of view, Midnight Club LA was one of the first games to to really nail that open world feel for multiplayer that made it more about the social experience as opposed mm. to racing. There was the Rockstar game Social Club social integration club. in there and stuff as well and, and there was that kind of additional element to the game. Um, and there is a lot to do in the game as well, like at any given point, but unlike 2's type of open world, Midnight Club LA's world is one which is so meticulously detailed and put together that it is yeah. actually enjoyable just to take in. And obviously that comes at the the cost, you could argue, of as fun racing kind of layouts for the point-to-point races and stuff. It's still a fun it's still a fun game to race at, a fun city yeah. to race in. But obviously because they've went down that more ac- accuracy-driven route for LA, it definitely gives it that more standard open-world racing game feel. But I think it's important but for me to point out that I I was very much clouded because I was judging the game against games today because it just didn't feel like a game that released that many years ago and yeah. you know what if the licenses are still active somebody's got to say it you know on Switch man like just bring over to Switch <laughs> <laughs> you've already got the licenses and stuff in place and it already runs just right. put it on there <laughs> I think um I think the one issue I have with LA is that it is it is kind of a slog to get going because they they do go for more of those uh conventional racing game tropes of like we've locked an entire level of cars and like sometimes it's not incredibly obvious how to uh find i think maybe like you know modern games have maybe spoiled me on this one it's not actually that bad but like you know there was one racer i remember like i had to be to have access to the entire slate of like level two cars and i didn't know to race them because there were like eight other you know missions or objectives i had any given time and so because i didn't race that person for a very long time i'm like why am i still in this 240 sx (laughs) (laughs) so you know i think it it does it does kind of take a while to get going um uh in in kind of a frustrating way maybe that's to pad out the fact that you know there aren't a ton of cars in this game yeah which uh which yeah for me is still kind of the 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 major downside to it because three had so much content and uh you know la has like motorcycles for example but like they're not there's not many of them i think there's like four there's like you know three ducatis maybe and like a a ninja like that's it um but yeah it's uh it's a great game definitely uh worth checking out and you know it's interesting because i i unfortunately didn't get time to play the uh portable versions of um well of la and three also had a, had a version on the psp as well <clears throat> but what's uh, what's funny is that the psp version of midnight club la which is la remix uh, a couple weird things about it one it's i believe it's 60 frames per second uh which wow. is crazy for like an open world yeah. racing game on the psp now when you compare it to uh three on the psp and you look like you know frame to frame it looks massively pared down detail wise. They use like they use bloom all over the place. I feel like to hide the yeah, fact that yeah. like the textures aren't there and the le- the you know the environmental detail isn't there. But it runs really smoothly. 
Um, other interesting thing is that it reuses the LA map from Midnight Club 2. Ooh, uh, that's which, yeah, and I think there's another city too. Maybe it's Tokyo. I don't know, but like, and I think if it's a Tokyo map, then it would have been the one from three. And the Tokyo map from three is actually from two. So like, <laughs> it's an interesting way of carrying forward content. If you think about yeah, it, like yeah. Midnight Club LA, you have this game on at the time modern platforms, 360 and PS3. You're now you know a generation out of step with the PSP was meant to reasonably emulate ps2 level experiences you can't do that on the psp now with the 360 and the ps3 coming out so what do you do you take the content for the last entry in the series and you basically <laughs> carry it over um because you know it could it could handle that better so i think it's a really shrewd move by uh, by rockstar and uh, a pretty a pretty neat way of going about it especially because again these aren't you know we I think as much as we like LA, I think uh, Midnight Club Two is clearly the darling of this podcast, and uh, yeah, 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 to have that experience on the go, um, even with all the uh, the MCLA furniture around it, uh, it's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think like LA is absolutely a a game that for me is the ultimate street racer of that kind for me like see that kind of trying to embrace the culture side of it trying to create like a vibrant world that feels alive that sort of thing i think it's very hard to find an open world racer that actually goes above and beyond that aside from like you know parody like way that test drive unlimited depicts like rich white people and stuff like if you're oh god you're see that that's what i have like <laughs> no time for yeah, that. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Midnight Club really manages to tread that line nicely of actually like having that kind of charming GTA writing pared down for the the certificate that it had yeah. in terms of audience and yeah. stuff. And and it does feel the issue is that at that era of Rockstar game making as well, it's hard to avoid the elephant in the room that Ellie sort of feels like GTA with the GTA mechanics kind of taken out of it, just because mm. it's such a a well-made experience that just inherently feels limited because of what we've seen the other kind of Rockstar games look like and that sort of yeah. thing. So, And then the thing you said about it being slow to get going is very true as well because in the early game, those races are so slow. Like it's yeah. right away, I feel it like in Midnight Club 2, it's fast, frantic, arcade thrills. Oh, yeah. But in LA, you, you really have to earn the speed. And then even if you've got cars fast enough, you still need to be good enough because the physics started to have that more kind of... Um, weightier feel that was kind of harder to pull off some of like mm. the the jumps and stuff um as effortlessly as you would in two and in two is about Fred and the needle Ellie is more in that kind of standard uh, racing game experience of kind of balancing risk and reward and it doesn't make any less fun but you pair that with some uh, pretty bullshit uh, AI at times oh, yeah. and stuff and yeah. the rubber banding <laughs> yeah, the rubber banding and, and the, the actual kind of cornering has that weird kind of speedboaty feel at times as well, perhaps, where you feel as if you're losing speed for no good reason uh, yeah. compared to what you would expect in an arcade racer. There are a few little kinks about the overall experience, but what it provides and, and how it stands up today is absolutely a testament to what was achieved. And um, that that's the worrying part, I guess, early <laughs> as far as Rockstar concerned, maybe closed the book on Midnight Club because they were just like, well, that's like, this is this is the, the the crux of what we can make with Midnight Club and that was that because it was kind of this one song for the series really. I'm not sure 
Yeah. I, I'm not sure why Rockstar dropped it, but if I can theorise, it might just be that, that they felt as if all they'd be doing is taking it in a new city and doing something very similar. Obviously, an idea of what they wanted GTA to become more all-encompassing, including the racing side, which is huge in that series now. It's, it's a bit of a shame, really. Yeah, Rockstar is in an interesting place, and Rockstar gets so much attention from, you know, like, you know, Bloomberg will publish a story about GTA 6 or something like that, and honestly, it's not uh, it's not something that I, like, really follow, like, what's happening with Rockstar. I, I know that the, uh, the Red Dead Redemption uh, remaster got canned, right? Yeah. Um, and that was the studio, San Diego is a studio that's responsible for uh, for Red Dead Redemption, and they're also responsible for Midnight Club. So um, I don't really think that really is going to make a difference in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I think if Rockstar really wanted a Midnight Club, uh, there is there are so many developers in the Take-Two umbrella that would be able to uh, do that for them. But yeah, they, they want cash cows. And... Um, you know, it's sad because, like, I, I think the more that we talk about older games and what franchises we want to come back and stuff, for a long time I was like, we'll see everything return again. But when you look especially at, le at these, like, AAA uh, names and studios and franchises, it becomes a thing where it's just like, yeah, if there's no way they can monetize the hell out of it, it's never coming back. You know, and, and then in that, in that scenario, the best you can hope for is they will literally take Midnight Club LA uh, pay for the licenses again and re-release on every platform as is and know they can get like 40 40 50 dollars out of you know the the small group of people that's willing to pay that much um for an old game but otherwise like yeah i just i just don't see it happening they've they have built gta into the street racing you know yeah uh uh universe that it's become and honestly i I do sort of respect them for that a little bit because like uh, they recognized that there was this one thing in the game that people love doing and they were like, you know what, what the hell? Let's just like, let's make a ton of cars. Let's like add all of these customizations. Like you couldn't do the things that you can do in GTA online to a car now, you could not do at launch. You know, the, the level of customization is like unheard of. Of course, they also use this as an opportunity to um, uh, to, to go hard on those microtransactions though. So it's one of those things where you gotta be careful what you wish for. Um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't hold my breath for a new Midnight Club. But hey, at least uh, LA is on Series X, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think um, there's a lot of excitement around the Los Santos tuners update yeah. that came out for GTA because it's basically Wish.com Midnight Club, even the trailer and stuff was, <laughs> was definitely calling on that element. But the fact of the matter is that Rockstar could have absolutely called that the Midnight Club update or, or something like that and purposely tried to gear interest towards the series again. But they obviously feel that the elements of Midnight Club that they really like, they can just integrate directly into GTA, call it mm. a day. Um, if anybody could find a way of monetizing Midnight Club correctly, and it's that is not the fate I would like the series to go to. But if, if anybody <laughs> was trying to find a way to monetize it, then I'm sure 2K and, and Rockstar would be able to, or take to. Sorry, um, but I think the, the issue is that, and, and I think this kind of ties into what we're talking about in Rockstar's situation here. They are not guaranteed hit makers for absolutely everything that they touch. 
Red Dead 2 was a game that tried something incredibly experimental as far as video games go by being so ultra realistic and grounded to reality that it isolated a lot of players. It, it, it had that kind of mixed to controversial reveal but the main point about it was that the Red Dead Online experiment was a failure for all intents and purposes. Yeah. They, they yeah. wanted to guide people towards that type of platform the same way GTA had and have that same type of ecosystem and, and try and build that same type of mythos but it's fair to say at this point that that hasn't happened and it's not worked out well. So it, it puts Rockstar in a very difficult situation because it means that for GTA 6 and the little bits of information we're already getting so far in terms of how that game might look and what it might be based around and such would imply that that monetization element that came into fruition through GTA's lifespan will now be a core part of it going forward. And maybe Take-Two feel like Rockstar are best suited to just work on GTA from here on out, which would leave Midnight Club completely out of the picture. It's, it's an interesting scenario. I feel as if of any type of series perhaps that can live in this live games as a service era, uh, I find GTA Online proves that something like Midnight Club could actually work well, if done correctly. Um, yeah. It's just, it's like we're talking about, if you think of the cost it took to make Midnight Club LA back in the day as a, a AAA racer, now try making one in this current game's climate on these platforms with that level of like, live service integration and stuff, it's a insanely expensive venture that we're probably not likely to see again and and I, I think that Rockstar's focus now will probably be on these live experiences as opposed to, to kind of standalone street racing game. Yeah, I mean you look around at the landscape right now and uh, it's funny how, you know, that we, we've seen a, a racing games pared down significantly in terms of the amount of of like big name releases over the last several generations and you know you look at the big players who are still active uh ea has tried to figure out need for speed five different ways and and hasn't done it to a level of success that that well, they would consider good enough <laughs> um you know sony uh with gran turismo they we're happy enough to let Kaz do his thing forever and none of us know what happened there but you have to assume that they were like hey can can we can we get something out of this can we is there a way that we can get more out of players here uh yeah. and so you know the microtransactions come come hammering down uh and that's turned a lot of people off obviously uh microsoft does not care but they're microsoft <laughs> they're allowed to not care you know they're yeah. allowed to just just throw everything at you in forza horizon what you know it's funny because in horizon like yeah okay there's the there's what like the 80 dollars for like the premium edition you get everything but like outside of that you know playground games just wants your time they just want you to, to yeah. come in there and do yeah. do the weekly playlist get your cars complete that stuff come back next week they really they're not trying to get you to you know empty your wallet uh so yeah you would think that there's a way <laughs> you know honestly the only the only um platform for monetization i'm seeing that's like winning and people are happy with and like satisfying everyone is like iRacing uh, <laughs> and you you think that you know obviously there are people who will never play iRacing because it's you know i renting it's too expensive and everything but the people who, yeah. who do love it um yeah, you know, you would think that like Rockstar out of everyone would be the one to figure out, you know, an online living game as a service street racing open world thing. 
I don't know if I'm wishing for that or not, honestly. I'm so tired <laughs> of like watching all this stuff happen, but like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a way that it would make sense for Midnight Club to come back. But I, I feel like they're so obsessed with just these blockbusters. You know, you're never going to get that from a racing game. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. And, and it's funny too, because just to put a, a, a cap on this this more philosophical look at everything the era of rockstar that we're talking about with la specifically like that was you know gta 4 um red dead redemption and you know remember that rocks remember that table tennis game yeah like yeah, of course. they yeah, just yeah. put that out there and that was basically a like a proof of concept of like the rage engine right or, or the eat, engine yeah. that they were going to use for <laughs> maybe gta 5 and they're like yeah. huh like this is going to be a mini game in a future gta game but like <laughs> what the hell like we made it it's funny yeah. no one I, I feel like they almost made that game as a bit because they were like nobody would expect us to do this right so why don't we just do it yeah um that energy seems to have evaporated from the company now they don't do that anymore they don't just like you know they're, they're part of one of the biggest multimedia franchises in this industry and they don't seem to really use that for all it's worth they don't seem to take odd bets rockstar used to be the one to go against the grain and yeah. um, now they they, they kind of gave up on that. So maybe maybe this is all indicative of sort of a of a changing of the guard. But whatever the case, um, only time will tell. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's always the laziest take to say that perhaps the parent company is the one pulling the strings and that sort of thing. But it does seem as if since Take Two became this whole controlling entity above them that things have, have started to be a bit more constricted on Rockstar side of things but ultimately as well there's the reality that an entity may exist but the people within it change and, and focus yeah. changes and that sort of thing. What was Rockstar San Diego once is not where it might be now at the end of the day and I think that's that's the other thing. Uh, trends change, street racing fell out of fashion unless Need for Speed wants to regurgitate it and then it comes back for a little <laughs> bit and we, and we get excited about it. Um, right. But ultimately, is there a place for a Midnight Club game? If you're looking at it from the boring business perspective, maybe Rockstar doesn't think there is because anybody that wants that kind of hyper-tuning over-the-top experience for racing is getting it from GTA. Um, yeah, it does seem as if that kind of little bit of creative streak is, is pretty gone at the moment. I was actually just, I was looking up some information about the table tennis game, out of mm. curiosity, and it featured an in-depth artificial intelligence engine as well. So obviously, they, it was a nice testing bed for what they wanted to go for. Although, yeah. I can't see any evidence it's just like, oh, we we thought we might as well throw this out. Which is a surprise, because I'd always assumed that was the case as well. It does seem as if they're kind of committed to the idea that it was, um, <laughs> it was just something they wanted to make, so... I, I think, yeah. like, I, you know, this is basically anecdotal at this point, but I feel like it was sort of a test bed. Because, I mean, everything they yeah, did pretty much use the same engine, right? So I feel like it was one of those things. And who's to say where it came from? But no, uh, that's, like, actually a good example of, like, release your tech demos. You know, obviously, yeah, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> don't expect people to pay for them if they're broken. But, like, if you're like, hey, you know, <laughs> we, you know, we're rock star people. It, it, expect us to um you know terrorize and um ruin the youth uh but we're just gonna make a ping pong game for the hell of it um yeah because it's the thing that people would expect us to do last like that's 
I remember it was pretty amusing, and I downloaded the demo for that uh, back in the day, and I was like, this is cute, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to buy the table tennis game, but cool. There was um, <laughs> Rockstar's president, Sam Hauser, said about the game that in trying to develop the game's concept, the team was fascinated with concentrating the entire power of the next generation consoles into a singular activity. And that is how the table tennis game came about. Hmm. Um, they also used it as very very um, intensive, strenuous multiplayer testing because in, ter- in trying to create the level of realism that the team had created in the single player experience, trying to replicate that in a multiplayer environment was especially yeah. difficult. Um, and yeah, so it does seem as if it's that all of these kind of elements came together. Yeah. Um, there's something beautiful about the name of it as well. Rockstar Games presents it's... table tennis. Like <laughs> you would, you would be, you wouldn't be daft for thinking at the time perhaps we were going to get other strange, like one shot games. Just yeah. that Rockstar Games presents subtitle. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny because you think about like GT Sport should have been, you know, a test bed for GT Sevens Online. Instead, they decided to find new ways to break it. Um, but that is that is a good strategy, I think, of just like you know making us a, a pared down experience where you're testing all of these things, so that when the final game comes out, there you go, things work. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> it. And I love the fact Rockstar still has the game on its website and stuff. Paying homage to its yeah. history. It's but it's it's one of these things. It makes for an easy kind of article about how it was actually more important than you thought for the reasons that you've said, Adam, and then what sure. you've talked about today. It's. Um, Release your damn tech demos. We'll have fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> we might see another one of those before we see another one of uh, another Midnight Club. Oh, I, I have a feeling that might, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's entirely possible. <laughs> Potentially, um, and I guess it's another uh, kind of conversation coming to an end on a slightly depressing note, but the difference with this one is that you can genuinely go out there and buy Midnight Club early right now if you've got mm-hmm. an Xbox. No strings attached, no... Yeah. Or having to find codes online or, or find hard copies, you can literally just go on and purchase it. Because for right. some reason, that is a thing that's possible. Sometimes these backwards compatible Xbox games really confuse me. I, I, we have discussed it in the Discord multiple times, but like the situation with Driver San Francisco, for example, randomly becoming available on Xbox backwards compatibility at some point about two years ago, but it wasn't relisted for sale. Um, on the Xbox store, so it was like physical only copies. Like, how does that happen? Yeah. Why would somebody do that? Especially given you can't buy it on any other platforms anyway, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what it is is they can do they can do kind of like the background legwork to render the game playable on modern platforms. But if it's something where there's going to be a legal blockade to them selling it again, they maybe won't do that part. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Like Rockstar. I guess must have paid for these licenses until the end of time. I don't know. They were allowed to do that because they were Rockstar. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, they were Rockstar. <laughs> they, they, do, they do what they want. Maybe not so much anymore, but they, at the time they did and they, they still have those. So yeah, you can still go out there and buy Midnight Club LA and PS2 copies of and Xbox copies of uh, Midnight Club 2 shouldn't be too hard to find, I imagine, either. But sadly, the Steam version is uh, back in the back in the locker. Oh yeah, there it is, fifteen dollars. Um, it's a good enough price instead of like you know paying people who are going to charge out the nose for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, somewhat of a silver lining to end on. Um, but this was a lot of fun, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could see us talking about Midnight Club 3 one day, 
but I and at first I was like oh, we're kind of like looking past a major point in the series but um, two I think two was is just a fascinating game and I think LA kind of uh, you know allows us to focus on where they're uh, where they kind of left things off and um, a nice evolution uh, yeah. from those two points so uh, yeah you know it's it's what we love to do here what we did with burnout we always we always go for the games that aren't quite <laughs> There are going to be a lot of people who have already talked in depth about free um, yeah. and, and how important that was and what that did. And we really just back on those statements. It's like you say, Adam, we did it with Burnout as well. Um, there, there is conversation to be had for these games beyond a footnote, I'd say, like, especially too. I think LA does get all the plaudits in many ways and it does deserve it. Um, but I think with, with two, sometimes it can kind of be forgotten about since it was a different type of burnout experience, but by no means worse. Just a, a very concentrated arcade experience and all the better for it. We also, like, we talked for 40 minutes alone about Midnight Club 2, and yeah. we still <laughs> reference it throughout the LA discussion. So, like, yeah, it's with, with how long, you know, uh, with how long we end up talking about these games, probably for the best. So, um,. Exactly. That's yeah. it. We talked yeah. about every single game. Don't think this plot would ever end. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Um, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, as always, just a note at the end, uh, reach out to us on Twitter, time underscore extend. Uh, if you want an invite to our Discord, just uh, shoot us a DM. We'll get you in there. And uh, yeah, thanks. And uh, see you again next time. Thanks for listening, guys.